0: Morning. Uh, another good topic: searching for our true power with Lee from Wisconsin. So please welcome Lee. Thank you. Um, I, I, am, I am Lee from Oostburg, Wisconsin, and I'm a member of al Hi, everyone. Uh, last year when I spoke, I was extremely nervous. So I've been getting all, all these affirmations all, all morning. <laughs> people saying, it's okay, we won't judge you, or, or, you know, even if you just do this for yourself, at least one person will, will get something out of it, so <laughs> I thank you, everyone who approached me. I also wanted to thank Elaine, I don't know if she's here, anyway, for um, asking me to speak on this, on this topic, because one of my goals, or ma- my main goal for this year, was to become more aware of, the, of my higher power in my life, and I hadn't really thought I had been succeeding until I really started working on this talk, which is searching for a true power, and then I realized, oh, so yeah, I've had a, a few, I've had a spiritual odyssey this year, which I'll tell you about, um, that, helped, that has let me know that, yes, indeed, my higher power has been working in my life. Um, I want to tell you a little bit, a little bit of my background. Um, we have kind of a funny story that actually developed here at IDAA um, a couple of years ago in Toronto. We, well, we had traveled up from Wisconsin, and um, I didn't have a passport. And I thought, well, you know, they might check the border, so I'll bring my birth certificate. And... Um, got to Toronto and we, you know, enjoyed the, enjoyed IDAA. And the Saturday night speaker was this Dr. Conway. And he talked about his, his, uh, using days and his recovery and, um, said that back in the late 50s, he was, was working as a doctor, an OBGYN for, for, uh, armed services in Fort Eustis, Virginia. And that's where I was born. And wouldn't you know it? This is the guy that, that, um, delivered me <laughs> 42 years ago. So, so my husband's very grateful that, that, that he was not the first alcoholic who influenced me in my life. It was, in fact, the guy that delivered me. <laughs> and he's here, he is here today. I've got to find him to say hello. Um, in the first year uh, of my life, my dad was in Korea. He was, obviously, he was in the, in the armed services. And um, my mother was unable to cope with the anxiety of my father being gone. And, I was, and we lived with my great-grandmother, who did envelop me and a lot of love. Um, And um, there there are a lot of positive things about my childhood, but then there there are the negative things that I picked up on and the behaviors that I learned that then brought me into the the rooms of Al-Anon. I was the youngest of three children, and and, uh, as such I was not empowered, I I didn't feel empowered by my family in, in, in making family decisions about what we would do or where we would go. Um, and there was a long time when I didn't really feel like I was part of the family. My my brother was named, the oldest, was named after my father. And my sister, the next, was named after my mother. And then I came along not named after anybody. <laughs> so, you know, who am I? You know, kind of a, an afterthought. In fact, my parents, my mother told me that I was the result of a broken rubber. So, um, <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> I, I, and I know I was loved and appreciated, but but um, it wasn't the same sense of, being wanted that I uh, felt my, my brother and sister had. Um, my father is always has been a person who has not dealt well with his anger, and because of that anger, we tended or not because of his anger, it's not his fault. But, but um, our family learned to walk on eggshells around around my father. Things had to be right. Things, the house would have to be clean when he came back from from trips, um, or else he would get real angry at us. And we learned we learned to manipulate things so that so that he would be contented. Um, I also learned from my mother that you don't speak up. If you're upset with something or if someone is expressing their anger to you, you don't speak up, especially if my father told my mother, uh, you just you just accept it. And, and but then in the, in private, my mother and, and my grandmother would say, well, um, there's always a way to manipulate a man to do what you want to do. And I could never figure that out. <laughs> I, wasn't quite, I knew what they meant, but I, didn't, I wasn't able to complete that. At least I didn't think so. Um, my sister, during high school, uh, dallied in drugs. She had her own, her own problems to, to try and get through. She also had an unwanted pregnancy and an abortion. And again, we learned, don't talk about it. Don't tell. Let's be ashamed of it. Let's judge her because she has screwed up so much. Um, my brother um, didn't do real well in school. Also, when he was an adolescent he was, and, and younger, he was sexually abusive to my sister and I. And I remember my sister and I screaming for our parents to come, you know, come get George out of the bed, out of the bathroom, and my parents wouldn't respond. And it was, again, I don't know if they, if they just weren't capable of facing the problem, if it's this, this problem, or um, just thought we could work it out, perhaps that was it. But, um, but I learned don't talk about that. And actually, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was rewriting my talk, and I thought, do I want to share that? And I, and I realized I did, because it is part of who I am. Um our power or the, the power that I've been able to get from the program has been bestowed upon me by my by my higher power. For me, recovery has meant that I have the power to make a lot of choices in my life. I can choose to be honest. I can and I've always been an outwardly honest, superficially honest person, but but I've had to work real hard at being an emotionally honest person. Um I've learned to detach. I've learned how to take care of myself and, and Part of that is learning how to be uh, loving and compassionate to other people. Um, communications have improved. Last year in my talk, I mentioned that um, I was kind of glorying in the fact that my husband and I had been having more conflicts <laughs> because we, we never ar- argued before. And so finally we were being, uh, becoming more honest with each other and, and uh, having conflicts. And then I realized conflict, is perhaps isn't the right word, but at least we were able to address issues openly and honestly, and that has actually improved this year. Um, I also, in the program, And with my heart power, develop the strength to trust what I know is right and then express it to those who I uh, encounter. Um, And I'll get into more of this in a little bit. My husband and I met in high school. We were were attracted to each other right from the start. We were 15 years old, and now we have a daughter who's 15, and we worry, (laughs) what will she be getting into? Uh, She's of the age that we are, but I think she's wiser uh, than either of us were. Um, at that age, and then, um, we both went off to college. I I went to college in Wisconsin Scott was out in Baltimore, um, and then he went on to medical school and we, we maintained our long term, long distance relationship. Um, and after his first semester of medical school, I decided to move out to Baltimore to be with him. Um, his disease of alcoholism, um, and drug addiction kicked in during college. Um, he, he had a drinking buddy who actually, we actually have been seeing, our, our friend lives in the Pittsburgh area. He's one of these guys who can stop drinking and he's really okay. and doesn't need a program, apparently. But um, but he really, he and my husband really indulged in drinking and marijuana use. And when I moved to Baltimore, I could never keep up. <laughs> I thought that I had to keep up. But um, but I would always fall asleep after I smoked a little bit. I, I would fall asleep and it was just my, my way of coping. Um, I tried to become more involved in a social life, and um, also part of it, the way I was raised, and I, I didn't feel affirmed um, often. Um, I I also um, tried to be the overachiever, and where my brother and sister had problems in school, I was the one who was active in many many things, band and orchestra and drama and whatever whatever you could you know, whatever I had time for, and I did well in school. Um, but then it moved out to Baltimore, and I didn't. It wasn't. Achieving things, anything outward like that, and all of our friends were in medical school, and um, in a field that I had no talent or interest in. And and again, I I felt more isolated. Just did my family learn to be isolated and don't share the pain um, with our friends? I became became isolated too in my own mind. Um, Let's see, um, and I didn't see. But when my husband would would um, use, I didn't see his, his behavior as an addiction, although there were a lot of really bizarre behaviors. Um, and I, th- I thought that he knew best, and he that he knew what the right choices were to make. Um, and I thought that he was wiser and smarter, and I had him up on a, a tremendously high pedestal, uh, which which he has climbed down from, I, and we're now on an equal plane. I'm really glad about that. But. Um, I was convinced in my denial that his behavior was normal, and then um, it just it continued. Also, medical school—he started using drugs. He, he was uh, introduced to something or i don't know exactly what it was—by a resident at the hospital, saying, "This will help you deal with your anxiety. This will help you get through the night." And then um, he was on his way. Then, when, we, when he finished medical school, we returned to Milwaukee. Uh, we got married uh, after a second year of medical school, and then we moved, back, we moved to Milwaukee, back to the Midwest. Um during residency he suffered greater drug abuse and um after the well, in January of his first year of residency was arrested for passing bad prescriptions and he went into his first treatment. And for me, um, I I'd made friends with the with the spouses of the of the residents. Um but was still feeling somewhat isolated. Um I was preg- pregnant for the first time, but I was unsure of my Place in our new social group, um, again, just part of me, it wasn't part of my husband um, and when winning for treatment, I isolated again, I pulled back i didn 't accept the the, the love and the, and the compassion that our friends were willing to give us, and, and they were you know, um, they offered what they could, but you know if someone's not willing to take it, then uh, then they just stopped you know stopped enforcing it on me um in this first treatment, I saw the counselor for, uh, for the significant others or, or family members, and I remember her telling me how I was controlling, a very controlling person. I couldn't see that because I felt really impotent. That I, that while I, maybe I wanted to control, um, I wasn't really successful at it. And I thought she, so, so I thought she was nuts. But I agreed to go to Al-Anon because um, I wanted my husband to get home, and I wanted I wanted to sneak. Um, extra visits with him, you know, not just on the weekends. but I wanted to be able to see him in the hallway and give him a hug and, you know, and get some kind of, some kind of uh, love back. And, and he was doing the best he could in trying to get sober. Um, so with not accepting her assessment um, and not going to Al-Anon for me, I didn't get it. I, I remember going for something like six weeks and and, someone, and not saying anything and, Finally, uh, a new chair opened the meeting and she said, well, are you new to Al-Anon? And I said, well, no. <laughs> and then I thought, well, so affronted. How, how could you not know that I was there? Well, I didn't say anything. It was a big group. Um, but I decided, well, this just wasn't for me. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. So I returned to isolating and shame. I didn't know how to how to understand the fact that my husband had a disease. Um, I, I struggled with it. And I was I you know, part of me said, yeah, he's got a disease, and part of me was afraid to, to admit that. My family didn't accept the fact that it was a disease, and they said, well, you know, you can just leave. You can just leave. You can come back home. And I, I knew that was one thing I didn't want to do. Um, so, two years later, um, well, actually, when res- residency was over, my husband took a position uh, in a small town of Cedar Grove, um, taking over for a physician who had been in practice for about 40 years, and he had his own pharmacy. And um, <laughs> a lot of people said, <laughs> "Oh yeah, this sounds like a great idea." Uh, <laughs> so, well, he, he realized. To make a long story short, he, he relapsed, and he he also was very good at isolating, and had decided um, he was doing this fine, didn't need to go, didn't need to go to treatment, or didn't rather didn't need to continue going to AA meetings, didn't um, have a very high regard for people for the community we lived in. Because they're uh, very fairly provincial, and um, and so he used, and he had to go back in for treatment. Um, at that point, I decided that I needed al because because I was able to see, I I've gotten a little bit of of anon and realized there was maybe something that I needed to work on. That you know, I was so miserable and so unhappy that it was time for me to to get some help and see to see if maybe this would work. um So when I first started, really started in L.A. in 86, um, I was so messed up that all I could do was remember the slogans to get me through the day. I couldn't couldn't remember the serenity prayer. And I couldn't remember uh, the Lord's, Like well, I knew the Lord's prayer, but it just didn't work for me. And so I tried the slogans, like first things first. And with uh, the way that I was trying to handle things and being the overachiever and trying to get everything done, I never completed anything. That's part of what contributed to my feeling of impotency. And so, like, if I, was, for example, cleaning the kitchen, I would start doing that dishes here. Oh, the county needs to be cleaned. Okay, let's, let's get to that. Oh, dishes. Okay, now, oh, there's the mail, the mail over here we need to take care of. Really? Oh, yeah, the dishes need to get done. And then it was just, you know, nothing, nothing got completed um, in a very timely manner. And I felt like I hadn't, didn't, wasn't able to achieve even the minor things. So, first things first, I had to kind of kick myself you Get the dishes done first, and then maybe you can sit down and do the you know do the the uh, mail, take care of the mail while you realize the dishes are done. Isn't that nice? Um, live and let live was really hard for me to achieve, but working on that and um, thinking about it a lot helped me accept the fact that that assessment that a counselor had made two years before was really right on the on the money, that yeah, maybe I was trying to control everybody. Maybe I was getting too meddlesome in everyone else's life. Um, maybe I could step back and see what would happen while other people lived their lives and made their own mistakes and learned from them. Um, let go and let God still sustains me whenever I am having a problem. If, I, if I'm having some tension about something at night and need to get to sleep, I think let go and let God. I bring my, the higher power into my life again and sleep peacefully. So, but when I let go of meddling in other people's lives, or it's a continual process, I was then able to switch um, the focus onto myself. My search for power and the strength to be my true self required frequent use of the steps and the slogans, the telephone, and meetings. Um, I remember one time also in, in trying to grow I, I didn't know what was keeping me stuck and, and uh, someone said well why don't you try this book called um living with sobriety an al-anon book and i read through it and thought, you know whatever and and then i came to the chapter about resentment and and realized that i had a lot of resentment a lot of anger um, um, a lot of fear that things were going to go bad again or that i wasn't able to to measure up and um and, I, and it, from that point, started working on giving up my resentments and my anger. Now, um, this year, there's been a lot of, a lot of growth for me, as I, as I mentioned in the beginning. Now, first of all, last year, I talked to, a lot in my talk about facing fear um, that our youngest daughter had cystic fibrosis, which is a fatal genetic disease, and, we, and she, she had had a lot of, a lot of uh, medical problems. And, and I had worried, and my husband had worried, that, that, that this was the beginning of the end, that she would be dying. Um, and, and I want to give you an update on that. We did, we did figure out why she was feeling bad. She, she had recurrence of the pain and problems she had had the previous year. And it turned out to be one of the medications she was on, so, and now she's doing really, really well. i very grateful for that. Um, but after we got back from IDAA last year, we, or I was talking to a friend of ours who was living with us. So she was separated from her husband. Um, going through a lot of hard times, and so we we offered her a home, her and her her children. Um, A very perceptive woman who I now sponsor, because she needed Alan on it turned out. (laughs) But uh, she asked me if my daughter might possibly be feeling fear for her own health and fear for for her life because of her disease. And and I I felt my higher power working through my friends. Because I was empowered to say, yeah, she, I, there is another, another perspective here. I've been expressing a lot of anger to my daughter because I was angry about her disease and fearful of her, of her disease. And um, my higher power empowered me to admit love and caring um, and support for my daughter into my life. So that instead of blaming her, I could say, yeah, this, this really sucks. And I'm here for you. What, how, what can we do to get through this together? Um, then in September, um, at, I, I work in a public school, and I and I decided. Um, well, luckily, first of all, I'm I'm a unique. I have a unique role in, in this school, and so they really appreciate me. And um, and so I can set my own schedule, which is really fun. Um, <laughs> but but I decided that I would take the day take Tuesdays off. My husband has Tuesdays off as well, and I decided that I would take the same day off during the week. And um, it's been wonderful because we have been had this mutual commitment to each other. Even there have been some, sometimes when we just neither of us could take that day off completely, but it was still the intent of mutual commitment to each other that um, that has enhanced our relationship this year. Um, then in September or October, I don't remember exactly when, I looked into setting up my own al meeting because I, I hadn't been going to meetings in my area. I too had tried some, and either they didn't work out in the schedule or um, there's Something about them that I was really uncomfortable with, so I started my own meeting at a time, like on Tuesday mornings, um, when I when it was convenient for me, a location that was convenient for me, and people have been coming. Um, and for that, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful for the strength my higher power gave me to do that, to reach outside of myself and say, you know, here's something. For me, I hope that you all would enjoy it too. Um, then in the spring of this year, I overcame finally my procrastination. Um, and perfectionism to sign up for the cyber group and, and those if any of you haven't signed up for the Al-Anon cyber group yet um, you can come talk to me I, I really really enjoyed it and it is really Al-Anon um, and it, it helped me to truly focus on on um, the topic at hand and knowing that everybody else was going to read it <laughs> it was going to be there permanently if that's the way they want it to be but also I can look back now I'm not much of a journaler and I can look back now at what I've written to see um, how I've grown and um, part of Part of what I've shared in a cyber group has been what what my higher power has done to help me through different difficult times. Now, in April of oh, this year, I was um, in the midst of planning or getting ready for a talent show at work. Um, I'm, I'm I'm the one who conceptualized it. I'm the one who who organizes it. I'm the one who does who makes the program. I'm the one who auditions the kids and all the, all this kind of stuff and gets the volunteers. And it's it's very labor intensive. Um, but also working at the school, we had some students who were very, extremely challenging for for teaching staff and for the principal. Um, and, I, and I knew that, but for some reason, I um, decided to invite the, the teaching staff by email to uh, to have a fundraiser during the intermission of the show that all the teachers all the teachers knew about, um, and that and that if they wanted more information they could contact the principal. Well, I didn't talk to the principal about it, about it ahead of time, and she got really angry. She's a woman that I, that I felt very um, respectful towards. I, I think she's, a, she's just dynamic. And um, when she got angry and fired off an email saying, I don't know what Lee's talking about. I have no involvement in this. If, if, you, if you have any questions, you go to her, but, but I'm not, I have no part in this at all. You know, I've got enough on my plate, and I don't appreciate anyone dumping stuff in my lap. And I felt such shame and such terror that, that um, I tried to develop a, a, a good um, um, rapport with everyone I worked with, and, and wanted to be known as reliable uh, with reliable information. And here I had really, really screwed up. So I, I emailed this this principal and um, apologized and said, "Well, this won't happen again. I you know I, know, I missed up. I'm really sorry." And I had to go pick the kids. Our kids go to um, public, to a private school, so I had to go pick the kids up and got home about an, an hour and a half after this event, and went into my bedroom. And we, we live on Lake Michigan, um, and I faced the lake and looked out my window. I thought, well, How am I feeling? I'm feeling a lot of shame, and I'm feeling a lot of uh, not anger, but just horrible, horrible shame that I have really let somebody down, and I wanted to just go away. I wanted to, to run away and not have anyone know who I was <laughs> and not complete my job. And, and I knew that this was irrational. And I thought, well, where does this come from? And well, you know, I think it probably came from how I, or it was similar to the ways I had acted when I was a child. My, my father would get angry or there'd be something bad going on at home. And I felt shame. And then I would wallow in it for a while and feel like the lowly person that I imagined myself to be. And I realized that that's not what I wanted. I, I didn't want to continue this. So I opened myself up and I, I had to do it physically, <laughs> um, opened myself up to my higher power and raised my arms and faced the lake and said, I made a mistake. I am not a mistake. And over and over again. I made a mistake. I am not a mistake and I cried a bit. And I went back, I made a mistake. I I am not the mistake. Um, and then was able to, to think of the higher power of the Serenity Prayer grant me strength to accept the things I cannot change. I, can, I cannot change what I've done, but I can change my response to it. And so the next day I went back to work, and well, that evening I was able to, to function. I made dinner, got the kids going with their homework. My husband came home, and, and then in, in privacy I was able to tell him about it. Um, and I went to work and felt still a bit ashamed of what I had done, but I thought, you know, I made a mistake. I'm, I'm a person. I'm, I'm, I'm human, and then I was able to email everyone to say sorry. Made a mistake. I'm, I misspoke, Spoke too soon. I didn't mean to do this. And I didn't have to take. I didn't have to say you know, I'm a horrible person for doing this. And I'm sure you can never trust me again. I just said I made a mistake. I mean, I felt like doing that, but, but I, I just <laughs> I just made a mistake. And it, um, and that day. I mean, the day after, or the day that I apologized, they was listening to public radio and they were talking about they have pigs invasion, and <laughs> what a horrible mistake that was. I thought, yes, let's keep this in perspective. Thank <laughs> <So>, um, <laughs> you. So, so using steps seven, eight, nine, and ten uh, really helped me help me to get through that um, painful time. And in June of this year, my mother um, came. All right. My parents and my grandmother, and my parents' noisy dogs came up to stay with us. <laughs> That's my resentment. I think to get over my resentment of the dogs. But anyway, um, my mother had to, my mother decided to come up from Florida to Wisconsin and um, also in Northern Illinois, where my brother and sister lived, um, to get help because she she had a medical problem. She had had ended up having four heart bypasses, and um, and, and she needed. The family to help out my father again in his traditional role or in his anger or whatever whenever he got angry he would leave he would just walk out and, and, and he wasn't one who was real perceptive about what other people's needs were so she knew that she was going to need um, family you know, the, the kids to help help her in her recovery and help get food for everybody else and take the dogs out for walks and whatever so um, there was a time or at one, one point my mother's um, post-op recovery, um, we, we went to visit, and um, or the kids and I went to visit, my, my parents, and um, my father got angry about something and just stormed out of, a, out of the house. And my mother said, why did he do this? It must be my fault. And bells went off in my head. Ding, ding, ding. No, no, no. This is not your fault. It's the And And I was able to share with her that you know, you, that she's married to someone who is addicted to anger, and and that we've always walked in eggshells around him, and and you don't need to do that anymore, you know, and that there are parallels. He's addicted to his anger, and you know my husband's addicted to drugs and in recovery, and there's a better there's another way to live. And I shared more of my program with her than I had before, relating to her one on one, you know, as as equals rather than as mother and daughter. Um, and, and I was, I, well, one of the things that I've, that I've worked on from um, my fourth step was um, learning, trying to, to remember to listen to people and to be more, more perceptive of what it is they're saying or not saying. And I, and I realized at, after a certain point that she didn't want to hear this anymore from her daughter. So I let it go. But we have um, been able to return to this topic. My, my, my parents, return to Florida, and um, as we've talked to each other over the phone, um, my mother has been able to return to this topic about you know, whether she's doing well or not, or um, how much blame she's taking for my father's behavior. And it's a blessing. It's a really a blessing in the program because we've been able to relate more honestly with each other. So, um, let's see. <clears throat> so I, most of what I wanted to share with you is that it is the power of serenity, the power of love that we find in this program, and daily reassurance that our higher power is present in our lives that guides us to find our true power. Thank you for listening. again, Lee, for sharing with us. And if we want to break into our circles now, if you have a small table, if you want to join others, um, I'll ring the bell at five minutes to noon.